feel okay with it, can you just put your hands up with me across this room? Oh, Jesus, we praise you. We just tell you, you're the best. You're the best. You're the greatest. Lord, where would our lives have been if you hadn't have intervened? Lord, you snatched us from our addictions. You snatched us from the streets. You snatched us from just living the American dream. You snatched us from our broken relationships. You snatched us from our selfishness. You snatched us from our sin. And Lord, all those things are what we once were. But now, we are justified. We are sanctified. We are saved. We are made holy because of what you've done. And Lord, you have bound us to your future. And your future is looking good, Jesus. And we get to be with you forever. And so we just praise you, Lord. We just give our thanksgiving to you this morning. You've made all the difference. Death would have swallowed us. Our sin would have destroyed us. But you came in and rescued us when we needed you the most. You didn't leave us alone to find our own way. There's no orphans with you. You called us into the family. And so, Lord, we thank you. We give you our praise and adoration this morning. Jesus, you're the one we want to talk about. You're the one we came to see. You're the one, Lord, who is above all and holds all things together. So we praise you today, Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given to people by which we can be saved one more time can we just bless the name of jesus in this place we bless that name it's above every name the name of jesus amen you can be seated amen church i love you and it is so great to be with you this morning so thank you for being with us And I'm excited for what God has for us this morning. You can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12 if you have a Bible. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me, or you can get there on your phone. Um, But we're going to be reading out of John chapter 12. Uh, It's already been mentioned, but Newcomer's Pizza is today. I love it because I get to meet you if you're new, and I get to eat pizza. So there's two reasons I love it. Um, But I would love to meet you. If you don't know who I am, my name is Joel Repick. I'm the lead pastor here at Crestmont, and I would love to have the opportunity to connect with you. So if you're new, even in the last few months, just join us on the other side of the wall after service. There's no class presentation. I can just have a piece of pizza with you, and uh, you can be on your way. But I'd love to be able to meet you. So six months ago, we introduced four questions into these times on Sunday morning as part of our... Uh, sermon series, and I just wanted to take the time this morning to reintroduce those questions, uh, because we always have new people coming into the church, and so you may not have been here six months ago when we went over this, and it's good for us to review if you have been here in the last six months. But every passage we're looking at, we are asking together four questions. The first is, who is God? Who does this passage reveal God to be? Because, of course, that is the story of the Bible. Uh, The Bible is so much more than just some instruction manual for living. It's way more than just a book of rules. People view it that way. Ultimately, it is a story of God. It's God's story. And this story has been given to us so that we can identify who he is. So the first question is always, who is God? The second one we ask 
is who are we in light of who God is? Because you see, all of us are on a search for identity. We're all seeking to understand who we are. It's just we very often go to wrong sources to understand who we are. And we can't help it. This journey that we're on to discover our identity is something we were born with. And so we keep searching and we keep searching. But what the Bible claims is that we can only understand who we are when we properly understand who God is. It's as God reveals himself to us that we understand who we are in light of who he is. So that's the second question. And then the third question is, in light of God's identity and our identity, if he is this and if I am this in response to who he is, then what is God saying to me on a practical level? What does that mean for my life? And then an action step, what am I going to do about it? Which is our fourth question because, of course, the word of God comes alive in our lives, not just as we learn more of it, not just as we fill our minds with information, but as we step into its reality in obedience, right? And it's as we step into obedience in God's word that God's word becomes alive to us and we experience more of the Father's heart. So today's passage, which we're going to ask these four questions of, is a passage about worship. It's an intimate moment as Jesus is headed toward the cross. It's a Act, this, this passage of scripture describes an act of radical devotion to Jesus, of radical love to him. And so we're going to be considering today some of what it means to be worshipers. We've been saying it for the last few weeks, but Jesus, at this point in the Gospels, we've been in this series for three years now. Um, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. He's already been freely talking about uh, his death, which is right around the corner. And all along the way, he's teaching and healing. And as it turns out, as we continue on through the Gospels, it's going to coincide perfectly as we head toward Good Friday and Easter um, in March. So we are at the end of Jesus' earthly journey here. So he's traveling to Jerusalem. He stops outside of Jerusalem in a town called Bethany. Uh, he had been there before because some of his closest friends lived there. Lazarus, a man named Lazarus, and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And you may remember or recognize those names because even just a few months ago, we looked at Jesus' last interaction with them in the book of John, and the circumstances were dire. Lazarus had died. He had gotten sick and died. And Jesus showed up on the scene, and if you remember what we talked about a few months ago, uh, he showed up in their pain and he showed up in power. So he showed up to identify with their pain. Uh, he wasn't afraid of the sorrow that was present as Mary and Martha were grieving the loss of their brother. But he also showed up in power and performed an extraordinary miracle. He rose Lazarus from the dead, and this caused quite a stir, even among the religious leaders. Scripture tells us that many had started to believe in Jesus because they had seen this miracle happen or had heard of it. The Lazarus, who was once dead, was now alive. So Jesus returns to Bethany with this family to share a meal with them, and it's an extraordinary thing because he's sharing a meal with someone who had once been dead, but whom he raised from the dead, right? And he's enjoying fellowship with them again. So we're going to begin reading in John 12, verse 1. And if you could stand to your feet, as is sometimes our custom, in honor of God's word. 
And I will begin in verse 1. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. You can be seated. So Jesus is eating with Lazarus and his sisters and whoever else was there at the dinner. And then Mary takes an expensive jar of perfume. We're told that this jar of perfume was worth a year's wages. Um, You know, it's interesting to think, where did Mary get a treasure like that? Maybe it was a family heirloom. Maybe it was something that had been passed down through generations. But she's in possession of this very expensive uh, jar of perfume that's worth a whole year's wages. And she takes it and she pours it on Jesus' feet and begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And this is undeniably an act of worship um, because, if, if some of you may remember, in just a little bit, Jesus is about to wash the disciples' feet as an act of humility. Um, feet were nasty in Jesus' day. They're still nasty, in my humble opinion. Some of you are feet people, some of you aren't. I'm not a feet person, all right? And so... To touch someone's feet, much less to pour your treasured possession onto those feet, is an act of devotion and worship. Judas, who we know, and the text reminds us, later goes on to betray Jesus, objects and says that this money should go to help the poor, but that's not really the intention of his heart because he was stealing out of the money bag that the disciples had. And so he, his greed is activated in this moment. And he wants his hands on some of that money. He's like sick to his stomach as he's seeing uh, this get wasted. And Jesus rebukes Judas, tells Judas to leave her alone. And he says it was intended that this perfume should be used for his burial. What Jesus is seeing in this act of devotion is whether Mary was able to see it or not, is that he is being anointed for his own burial. This was a practice in the ancient world that when you were buried, and particularly if you had people around you who had money who could afford this, would anoint your body uh, with perfume to be buried. And so Jesus sees this as a sign, as a precursor to his coming death, which is going to happen not too long after this story. And then the story ends by telling us that a large number of people had come to see Jesus, particularly because they remembered this story about Lazarus, and they knew the extraordinary nature of what had happened, 
And many people were believing in Jesus because of Lazarus' story. And this meant that the religious leaders of the day didn't, not only wanted to kill Jesus, but they also wanted to kill Lazarus as well because it was a threat to their power and influence. So that's the story. Now, I just want to take a few moments just to ask the questions that I mentioned at the beginning of our time together of this passage. First of all, who is God? Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that Mary begins this act of worship uh, toward Jesus in front of all who are gathered there, and Jesus does not deny that this is appropriate and correct. He even defends it because all throughout Jesus' ministry, he has been making the bold claim that he is the promised one sent from the Father, that he is God himself in human flesh. So who is God? Jesus is the true object of the universe's worship. Jesus is the true object of the universe's worship. Now, this is the clear teaching of Scripture, but I thought it would be good for us this morning just to reflect on some passages that we actually read three years ago when we began this journey through the Gospels, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at the beginning of the New Testament. And I thought it would be good for us to go back to some of these passages. I don't expect you to remember the sermons from three years ago, except for you overachievers out there. There may be some of you. I wasn't looking at you, Mary, when I said this. Sorry. Um, <laughs> be careful. who I like. uh, so, so there may be some overachievers who remember sermons three years ago. But we began this series by looking at a passage in Colossians, uh, another book in the New Testament, a passage in in uh, Philippians, another book in the New Testament, that made some bold claims about who Jesus is. And they're very worshipful passages. So these are long, but I want to read them to you this morning because I want our hearts to be stirred in worship toward Jesus, who is the true object of all of the universe's worship. All true worship has to be directed at a true object, And that true object is Jesus. So here's what it says in Colossians. Anthony, why don't you help us out as I read this. I'm going to read out the message, which is a a paraphrase. Um, It has some powerful language. It'll be on the screen. It says, We look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, He organizes it and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection prayed, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe. People and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies all because of his death, 
his blood that poured down from the cross. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. (laughs) Philippians, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, becoming human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far above anyone or anything ever, so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. And then the Apostle John has a vision of what heaven looks like. It says this in Revelation 5, And they sang a new song, Worthy. Take the scroll, open its seals, slain, paying in blood. You bought men and women, bought them back from all over the earth, bought them back for God. You made them a kingdom, priests for our God, priests, kings to rule over the earth. I looked again. I heard a company of angels around the throne, the animals and the elders, 10,000 times 10,000 their number, thousand after thousand after thousand in full song. The slain lamb is worthy. Take the power, the wealth, the wisdom, the strength. Take the honor, the glory, the blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and earth in underworld and sea, join in all voices and all places singing to the one on the throne, to the Lamb, the blessing, the honor, the glory, the strength for age after age after age. Can we give him some praise this morning? Love you, Lord, for who you are. Thanks, brother. Anthony. How many of you guys are appreciative of Anthony? We'll just put hands. <laughs> See, this is what happens with all true worship. We join in to what's happening in heaven already. And notice that the worship that happens in heaven has a very specific target. And it is Jesus the Christ, the Lamb who was slain. All of that worship, all of that singing, all of that adoration has a pinpoint target. And it is Jesus, God's Son. This is why I say that Jesus is the object of the universe's worship 
and adoration. When scripture says that stars sing, that creation speaks, what they are speaking of is the glory and the splendor of Jesus. Because as we read, he was there before creation. The world was created through him, and it's in him that all things hold together. Amen? So, all true worship is directed at him. So what does that mean for us? What's our identity then? Well, our identity is that we are worshipers. That's very different than saying worship is something we attend on Sunday mornings. It's very different than saying that worship is something we do sometimes during the week. I'm talking about an issue of identity. We've been saying all throughout this series that you can tell what is your identity because it is who you will forever be, right? For all eternity, it's who God made you to be. And I can tell you who God has made us to be for all eternity is worshipers. We will forever worship him, forever adore him, forever praise him. The adoration and the affection of our hearts in the white hot glory of God's presence will have as its target Jesus, who was sent to be slain for our sin. That is who we will worship forever, right? Mary got this. You know, we have the privilege of having these passages that came after this story. They're written after the story I read in John, right? And they describe who Jesus is. A lot of people, when Jesus was sitting at the table, a lot of people wondered who he was, but they couldn't see the fullness of his identity. I don't know how much Mary understood or didn't understand, but she understood enough to know that Jesus was the object of her worship, that Jesus was the object of her adoration. So she breaks what is most valuable to her, this bottle of perfume, and pours it over Jesus' feet. Because this is who we are. It's who God made Mary to be. It's who God made us to be, worshipers. So what is God saying to us? Well, I want to say this, first of all, that worship intensifies in me the more that I'm in touch with my own need. Why did Mary do this extraordinary act of devotion to Jesus? Well, I think the backstory has something to do with it, right? At her lowest point, when she had lost what was most dear to her, her brother, it was Jesus who showed up and wept with her. It was Jesus who was with her in the pain. And then it was Jesus who showed up in power to raise her brother from the dead when it seemed like all hope had been lost. And see, I find that the intensity of our worship is connected to the intensity of our pain and how Jesus showed up in those places. Um, You know, it's interesting. We think our best understanding of the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was that Jesus actually got anointed twice. One time here before his death, but another time earlier in his ministry. We preached on that passage at some point too. Early on in his ministry, a woman who is just identified as a sinful woman of the city came and anointed him as well at a Pharisee's house, at a religious leader's house. And people thought that this was odd or strange or inappropriate there as well. And Jesus' response in Luke chapter 7, when he is saying that what this woman is doing is appropriate, is he says, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven loves little. 
See, the fuel for heartfelt, intensified worship is being in touch with the intensity of our need. See, it's as we know that we need him, as we're willing to admit that, as we're willing to come into the place where we can say, I need what Jesus has more than anything else, that our worship intensifies. And this is different than attaching the intensity of our worship to an emotional feeling or to the right environment. Many times, our tendency is to connect the experience of worship to just a feeling or an environment. So I've heard people say things like, well, I just don't worship like the other person. Listen, we worship in different ways. That's not what I'm saying. But like, I, I, I'm, I'm not as much into worship as the next person because I just don't have the passion that they do. Guess what? The worship of Jesus the Christ, who is the object of all of the universe's worship and praise, is not attached to our moody, fickle feelings. It's not attached to our personality, quite frankly. The worship of Jesus has a lot more to do than with your temperament, right? It's a deeper thing than that. He's the object of our worship, whether we feel like it or not. Whether we're shouters or not, right? Whether we like to raise our hands or we don't. And all of these things are connected to our personality, but I'm just saying worship is a deeper thing than that, right? It has to do with who Jesus is and who Jesus has made us to be. Or we attach worship to the environment that we're in. If the music is good enough, I can really connect with God, right? If it's my kind of worship service. America today is filled with worship shoppers, right? Go from church to church to church trying to find, you know, the kind of worship that seems to appeal to us. We've made worship a consumeristic thing. Listen, the flow of worship is not from out here into you. It's from in here to Jesus, right? And it comes from the Spirit. And guess what? Jesus can be glorified in all different kinds of worship services, with all different kinds of order of service and all different kinds of music. All, Jesus didn't attach The Father did not attach the eternal worship of Jesus to a music style, right? Or or to a preferred order of service, or to a tradition, right? All of these are attempts for us to join in to what's already happening in heaven. But guess what? Whether we do a good job at it or a bad job at it, whether the music is cranking on a Sunday Or really, it's not that great. We're missing a few notes. Guess what? Jesus is still getting glorified. He's still getting worshipped. He's still getting adored. Because the worship of Jesus isn't attached to this stuff. Right? It's who we are. It's an issue of identity. And the more that we can come into the reality of our own need... See, see, Mary worshipped because... She had great need, and she knew it. She had suffered. She had experienced pain, and it was Jesus who met her in that place. That's what inspired that worship. The woman in Luke 7, she knew she was a sinner. You know, the religious leaders are saying to Jesus in that passage, don't you know who this woman is? Listen, that woman knew who she was. She was a sinner, but she knew her need. And this is what inspired her worship. It's sad that if need is connected to worship, we spend so much time making houses of worship places where we hide our needs. 
Make it the place where we act like everything's okay. There's this temptation to connect religion to our lives as another tool to make it look like we have it all together. And listen, just like Judas objects in this passage to what Mary is doing, when worship is inspired out of true heartfelt need, wherever that comes from, you can be sure that religious people will object. I'm saying something true. You can be sure that religious people will object. One of the best things that can happen to a religious stale environment is for a needy person. Listen, those religious people are needy too. But for someone who knows they're needy to come in and say, forget this game. I'm going to worship out of my need. I'm going to worship out of my desperation. I'm going to worship because I know that I need Jesus because this is what he's done for me. I'm going to break this up by pushing through in worship. See, sometimes we think that our apathy in worship is just because we don't have a personality or we don't have you know, a certain style or I don't know, I'm just not into it. You know what very often our apathy is connected to? Our apathy is connected to our denial of our own need. But see, when we come into touch with that, when we know we need him, and Jesus has different ways of doing this, He has different ways of making us aware of our need. Friends, you don't have to be afraid of coming into, I don't even think I'm going to make it to the rest of my points. I think this is our point for today. (laughs) Listen, he has different ways of doing this, but he, it is his grace when you come into knowledge of your need. It's his grace. See, the thing that we're so afraid of, of being exposed, of, of people seeing that we're needy, see, that, that thing that feels so vulnerable or afraid to us is the actual thing that God is doing so that we can really connect with him in the place where we need him the most, right? Um, and so Jesus has different ways of doing it. Look, sometimes uh, it's just the circumstances in our lives. You heard this testimony on the video. Sometimes it's just painful circumstances in our lives. Make us aware that we are in need of Jesus, There's a lot of us, even in this room, that didn't know how badly we needed him until our pain surfaced, until we were in over our heads in pain, right? And then we just knew we needed something. We weren't sure if Jesus was going to show up. We wanted to believe it. Maybe we half believed it. But he showed up again and again and again in our pain. That's why we worship. Because even when other people got tired of walking with us, Jesus walked with us. Even when it felt like there was no hope left, Jesus came into that space with us, right? That's why we worship him. Now, listen, some of us have experienced more or less pain than others. It's also true of whole communities. I've noticed this. Communities that have experienced more pain than other communities worship with a greater intensity, right? Because it's in their communal experience to experience pain and suffering. So listen, in this room, Some of us have experienced a lot of pain. Some of us have experienced maybe less pain. But here's the deal. Even if you haven't experienced much pain, you know what you can do to experience pain? Get involved in the pain of other people. It's called ministry. Get involved in the pain of others. And very quickly, it's God's grace to you. Very quickly, you'll see you don't have what it takes to fix someone. God hasn't asked you to fix them. You don't have what it takes to put this person's life together. Come on, who was going to help Mary when Lazarus was in the grave except for Jesus? 
empathy. And so get close to the pain of other people. I think one of the greatest cures for being apathetic in worship is to get on mission with him. You know? Our apathy is so often there because we have insulated our lives from pain. But when we jump into the places where God is working, because Jesus doesn't insulate himself from pain, he jumps into it with us, right? He jumps right into the mix of it with us. And when he jumps in with us and when we go with him, that's called mission, it inspires a deeper intensity in worship, right? Or this, this is a need that we all share, and it's what the Holy Spirit does. He reveals to us our sin. See, there's a trend in our culture to talk about sin like it doesn't matter, to lessen it, to talk about the love of God and to not talk about our own sin. But do you know what that's rooted in? It's rooted in shame. See, the underlying lie is that God will only love us if we make our sin seem like it's less than what it is. But here's something that will intensify your worship. Let the Holy Spirit show you the depth of your sin. Let the Holy Spirit show you the depth of your guilt. And I'm telling you, with our God, that will not drive you into shame. All it will do is make even greater how wonderful his love is. See, God doesn't love some fake version of you. He doesn't love some projection that you give to other people. He loves the real you. Listen, he loves me even though I'm more guilty than what I know, right? And when that sinks in, it inspires my heart toward worship, right? Because he loves me even in the places where I sin, even in the places where I've abandoned him again and again and again. You see why we don't have to hide from our sin? What's this thing like we have to hide from our sin in church? What is that? Listen, you know when God's love rushes over us? It's when a community of people are willing to say, we've messed up more than we know. We've messed up more than we realize. But the love of God is so great. The love of Jesus is so wonderful, so glorious, that I don't have to hide anymore because there's a safe place I can run to with my pain, and it's the love of Jesus. See, that's why this this kind of worship comes out of Mary. It's because she's been in touch with her need and all of a sudden, it doesn't matter how much that perfume bottle costs. It's like Jesus is what's most important. Priority shift. We can tell what we worship by what we prioritize. We can tell what we worship by what we try to protect or hoard or all these things. But I'm telling you, when we see the enormity of God's love for us, a lot of things just don't matter anymore, friends. I feel this this morning. I think God wants to release some people from some burdens this morning. Some of you are carrying priorities that are actually sapping the life out of you. I think there's some in this room that are carrying burdens and priorities that are connected to our idolatry connected to our sense of identity. And listen, it is true. Jesus does want to take your idols from you. But listen, idols are heavy. Idols are heavy. They're burdens. They weigh us down. And, and he wants to take that stuff from us just to pour it out and worship before him. And say, I have a different set of priorities now. You know, because Jesus is who loves me the most in this world. And I'm so off track from my sermon notes. 
the prayer ministers could come forward. And Steve, are you closing the service? If you could just come forward. And you know what? If the whole worship team could come forward. I do sense your presence in this place this morning. I sense you coming near. And Lord, when you come near, it is often to reveal our need. But Lord, when you reveal, it's always to heal. It's not to humiliate. It's not to shame. Oh, and Lord, I thank you because even though you are so deserving of all worship, you don't just wag your finger over us and say, work something up, stir something up. You want us to see what you've done for us. Your love went first. It's not our fervor in worship that went first. It's not our intensity in worship that went first. It was your love that went first. All of our worship is just a response to who you are and to what you've done. I feel like this morning there may be um, an addressing of apathy in some people's lives. I want to tell you this. If you're in an apathetic place, do not try to work something up on your own. Do not try to work harder or try harder. I'm telling you, nothing will wear you out in your Christian life quicker than that. It's not the answer. Here's the starting place in worship. It's just to sit with Jesus in the place of your need. Holy Spirit, would you surface our needs this morning? Even the ones that we were hoping a spotlight wouldn't come on, certainly not here. But we just open our hearts to you in this place. Surface our needs. For some of you, it may be pain that you'd rather not be thinking about. Memories. It may be relational hurt, dysfunction, relationships that have been lost. You're safe with the Holy Spirit this morning. See, church ought to be the safest place anywhere. It's not because we're so great, but it's because we're encountering God's presence together. And there's no better place for your pain than in God's presence. Mary came to believe this. You know, you may be saying, well, Mary got the answer to her prayer that Lazarus came back from the dead. But you know what? There's a lot of people who didn't get, in, even in scripture, who didn't get those, those good endings apparently to the naked eye. But you see, before Jesus ever raised Lazarus, he did something so profound for Mary and Martha. He just came to be with them and to weep with them in their pain. And then it's up to Jesus what he does with it. Lord, surface those things in us. For some of us, it's things that have died, things that, like Lazarus, are in the grave. Dreams. Hopes. And then, Lord, we trust you enough this morning to say, search our hearts. Show us where we've sinned against you. Show us our need for you. 
So there's grace with you. There's healing with you. But we don't want to be like Judas and spend so much time hiding, even though we're so close to the things of God. We want to live in the light. So Lord, surface what needs surface. Now I'm telling you, as you sit with Jesus in the painful place, this is the place. It's a place we so often avoid, but it is the place that real worship springs from. Because we see his grace and his mercy in these painful places. So Lord, as pain surfaces, we also just invite the love and the grace of God in this place. I just have in my head, he has risen with healing in his wings. He rises over you with healing in his wings. Oh, thank you, Lord. It doesn't matter how bad it looks, how much it's fallen apart, how much you've destroyed it. He rises with healing in his wings. Healing for our pain, healing for our sin. Lord, rise on us this morning with healing in your wings. Oh, Jesus, you are the great meter of our needs. Every passage we read about worship this morning in Colossians and Philippians and Revelation mention the cross because it's there. Jesus went there to meet every need that we have. You need forgiveness, it's available because of the cross. You need forgiveness for the thousandth time? Well, there's enough blood at the cross. You need healing? Well, by his stripes, we're healed. You need relationships restored? Well, Jesus was cut off so that we could experience restoration. This is why we worship him, friends. Oh, Lord, we confess our unbelief. We just have such a strong sense of God's presence here. We confess our unbelief, Lord. We confess our unbelief in the power of the cross. We confess our unbelief in the power of Calvary, in the power of the blood, oh Lord. And we just say that there's enough power in the blood for whatever we need this morning. We cast ourselves again on Jesus hanging on a cross. It's there that all of our needs get met. Lord, we've run, every single one of us in this room has run to many idols. Every one of us in this room has run to many things for identity. But Lord, today we run to the cross of Jesus. Today we run to the cross of Jesus. And there's enough there. Jesus.
that again together. My life is not new.